Well, good morning, Living Water, and good morning to those who are online. It's good to see everyone out this morning. If you have your Bibles, let's open to Romans chapter 12. Once you find that, if you wouldn't mind standing for the reading of God's Word. Today we will finish chapter 12, and next week hopefully get started on chapter 13. We'll pick up at the final verses, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Let us pray. Gracious and merciful Father who dwells in the heavens, we present ourselves to you because of our faith in Jesus Christ. We ask that by your spirit that you would minister to us today. Lord, we know that if your word is not accompanied without power, people generally tend not to believe. I do pray, Lord, that it would be your power that would minister and work among the hearts and minds of the people who are here. I have no ability to convince, change, con, uh, convict uh, any person in this room. Only you can do that. You know where they are in their lives. You know those who are watching online right now. I pray that you would give them a sense of your presence as you work in them to conform them, transform them to look like your son. Lord, we pray that you receive all the glory and honor for there is none that is deserved by any other than you take these few moments that we have together and use them Lord I pray cleanse us from any sin in the powerful and precious name of your son the resurrected Savior and returning Lord Jesus Amen you may be seated As probably most of you heard, last Saturday, Peyton Gendron, an 18-year-old, attacked a variety of customers at a Topps grocery store in Buffalo, New York. He had driven 200 miles to arrive at this pre-planned site that he had scouted out a couple of months prior in which he had made an attempt to... Um, get a plan together and come up with a way to enact that plan in his home and took just last Friday to pull together the final details to do what he wanted to do. And so last Saturday, uh, he arrived in his vehicle to the parking lot of the grocery store, got out of his vehicle, 
geared up with full body armor, tactical helmet, and mounted a camera to live stream what he hoped would be a massacre. Taking advantage of the element of surprise on unsuspecting shoppers who were making their way to their cars, he opened fire on four customers in the parking lot, fatally wounding three. He then proceeded immediately into the grocery store to catch unsuspecting customers and employees. He would open fire on nine people, one being a retired police officer who recognized what was going on and because of his years of training tried to prevent any further damage but was killed in the process. The security guard, seeing what was going on, opened fire and landed shots on Peyton but was unsuccessful in taking him down because of the body armor. Peyton returned fire and killed the security guard as well. The police finally arrived and he was taken into custody and at the end of the day, 10 bodies lay dead between the pavement and the grocery store while three others were wounded. News reporter recounted the events by the name of Shamari Stone recounted and said that many in the community were filled with anger, agony, and yes, fear to return to the local grocery store. In a different news broadcast, the oldest son, as the family was being interviewed of the oldest victim who was 86 years old with tears in his eyes said, we're not just hurt, we're angry, we're mad. His sister went on to say, you took away my mother, my best friend. How dare you? How dare you? But Buffalo, New York was not the only community to feel the sting of unexpected tragedy this past weekend. Just last Sunday, David Shu, who is 68 years old and a licensed security guard, walked into a Geneva Presbyterian church in Laguna Woods, California, after driving 300 miles the day before to attend this event. The host that day was, ho oh, the church was hosting a luncheon that day for some of its retired congregants. About 40 persons were in the room after service. He walked in heavily armed and began to open fire on the occupants. One man, seeing what was happening, uh, jumped up to tackle him to stop him from harming others and in the process was shot to death. But thankfully, by him doing that and sacrificing himself, it gave the pastors and the other men in the room time to apprehend the gentleman to restrain him and hogtie his legs and arms with an electrical cord until the police could arrive and take him into custody. On the same weekend, in additional communities were suffering similar fates, such as in Amarillo, Chicago, Dallas, Houston, Milwaukee, and Winston-Salem. Similar outcomes, some dead, others injured. Just last month, last month, a gunman, after traveling from Philadelphia, made his way onto the subway and opened fire on random occupants in Brooklyn, hitting 10 under the cover of smoke bombs. Evil is happening all around us to people all around us, and knowing this should make us aware that people who plan evil may wander into our lives unannounced, and inflict suffering upon us or the people we love. And afterward, those of us who survive the experience are often left with the chaos that they have wreaked, but also with the emotional weight of questions 
and as a reporter said, agony and anger. How should we respond to those who commit these heinous acts of violence or do commit all other types of evil against us or others that we care about in our lives? Well, I want you to be sure that, the, that our culture does have an answer to this question. And the answer simply is this, revenge or retaliation. If art reflects life, then the face in the mirror is revenge. If you were to take time and just on your phone to pull it out and to do a quick search on Google for movies with revenge as the plot or main plot, you would find that there are, they are plentiful. Here's a few just to perhaps remind you of some of the ones you might have seen in your life or at least saw advertised. The Lady Eve, Point Blank, Once Upon a Time in the West, Death Wish, The Wrath of Khan, the Princess Bride, Gladiator, Memento, Kill Bill, John Wick, The Equalizer, Carrie, The Count of Monte Cristo, Django Unchained, The First Wives Club, Unforgiven, Cape Fear, Ocean's Eleven, Upgrade, and the list goes on. Perhaps the cultural mindset could be best summed up in that well-known phrase, revenge is a dish best served cold. See, our, pain, our culture views pain served at an unexpected time all the sweeter when it shows up when those who have hurt us were able to inflict pain on them when they least expect it. We have recently had an opportunity to witness what revenge looks like in a real way with the David Chappelle incident, if you've heard about that. If not, let me tell you a little bit about what happened. At the Hollywood Bowl, a, a group of comedians were there, and uh, there was an, an incident that happened. And, uh, and ultimately, what ended up happening was that the security team uh, ended up capturing a person who had sought to tackle David Chappelle, who was armed while he was on stage. And he tried to escape via a backstage e exit, but unsuccessfully. And so the team took him offside to the stage, and what appears what they started to do was to stomp the assailant. Chappelle's response at the time of the assault was, I'm going to kill that, insert the expletive. Then he walked over, and what appeared to be on camera joined in the attack of stomping the assailant. Revenge, yep is the response that our world views as the appropriate response when you've been hurt. You hurt me, I'm gonna make sure that I hurt you in the same way or more to keep you from ever doing that again. I'll see your tackle and I'll raise you a stomping. Now, as believers we have the option to allow the world to disciple us and conform us to its image also. After all, revenge or retaliation sure does feel right in the moment when I'm feeling pain or grief when someone has done wrong to me or others that I love. But if you remember when Pastor Mike opened up this section of the book of Romans in chapter 12, he recounted to us a command that Paul had given to the corporate body of believers to not be conformed to this world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our minds. 
Because as Pastor Mike indicated back then, that God seems to have a different path for believers to travel. And if you remember from the ministry of Jesus, he said it was a narrow road. Well, in these verses, we find God's perspective on revenge or personal retaliation. Let's return to the text, verse 17. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. Now, if you were to start to read through the New Testament, you'll find out that this is not the first time that Paul says something like this. He had said it in an earlier letter to the Thessalonians. Here's what he wrote to them. See that no one repays anyone evil for evil, but always seek to do good to one another and to everyone. But Paul was not the only apostle to think this way. So did Peter. An apostle who had been before him echoed the same thought in one of his letters. He wrote, do not repay evil for evil or reviling for reviling, but on the contrary, bless. For to this you were called that you might obtain a blessing. The question is, where did the apostles get this from? Did they just make this up on their own? No, they get it from the teaching of Jesus himself. Perhaps you remember it from the Sermon on the Mount. Just in case you don't, let me restate it to you. You have heard that it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I say to you, do not resist the one who is evil. But if anyone slaps you on the right cheek, Turn to him the other also. And if anyone would sue you and take your tunic, let him have your cloak as well. And if anyone forces you to go one mile, go with him two miles. Give to the one who begs from you and do not refuse the one who would borrow from you. But Jesus' teaching is not even new. We see reflections of this already given by God in Leviticus 19.18 in the law and then in the writings, Proverbs 24.29 when the writer of the Proverbs said this, do not say I will do to him as he has done to me. I will pay back the man or pay back the man for what he has done. And so Paul in this verse then commands those who are disciples of Jesus Christ not to retaliate against others when wronged. Paul says the believer is not permitted to respond in kind when we are hurt, whether that is by other believers or by unbelievers. As Mike Bongo shared last week, Paul has already stated in verse 14 that the proper response for God's people in the face of persecution is not to, as our hearts might want us to do, to curse them, but to bless them. Now, as we know from previous chapters of Romans, the death of the Lord Jesus reshaped Paul's reading of Scripture as he saw the Messiah had come in the person of Christ. And that also shaped his understanding of how life should be lived. As Paul has already laid out to us in Romans chapter 5, Christ died for his enemies. And how he died in relationship to his enemies becomes a pattern for believers. Paul, Peter says as much in his letter, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 21 through 25. And Paul knew intimately what was going on for himself as being a person who had suffered greatly at the hands of others. Not only had he suffered personally, but he had shepherded many other Christians who had been through suffering and were looking to him as a leader in the church to guide them according to Jesus' teachings of how they were to respond in spite of the suffering they had endured and death of 
loved ones. And people, and Paul knew how easy it is for us as people to slip into a mindset of wanting to bring harm to those who have harmed us. If we're not watchful, we can find ourselves slipping into doing evil in the name of pursuing justice. This was brought home to me this week in a conversation that Bongo and I had about this text as we talked about theological and practical implications of what it looks like to live out this text in the real world. In a previous message I shared with you about a, a, a former NASA engineer turned YouTuber influencer um, who does things, uh, and my children and I sometimes watch him and they let me know, and I told you about how he created these wonderful little gadgets called glitter bombs for people who like to steal your Christmas presents when they arrive. Well, there are other projects he's been working on, and one of those other projects is tracking down scamming companies. He's been working with law enforcement, various agencies to, to do this, uh, to be able to, to trace these networks of scams that are going on that are tricking people to take their money back to three massive companies in India. These companies, of course, are known for impersonating legitimate companies such as Amazon Prime or Windows or even the government, the IRS, and they mainly target elderly people who are at home during the day when there's no one else around to trick them with technology and use that to rob them of their life savings that they'd have accumulated from their hard-earned uh, money. Seeing this, the engineer decided to not only gather information on these companies and who was behind it ultimately, not just the ones in America, but to trace it all the way back to these major enterprises in India, these three major companies. But he decided to partner with some other YouTube anti-scammers and some other anti-scammers from India to prank these companies so that he could shut the business down, at least one company, for a day. And having some people on the ground uh, they did a few things to prank this company. One of the things they did was to hack into the video feed of the company itself and into their computers to look at their revenue streams and get access to their data. And they decided to prank call the callers. So they had some of the people who were doing the calls tricking them by telling them they were the ghost of deceased relatives. And that's why they knew what their real names were and who they were working with. And they could see them right now, which, of course, frightened some of the callers as they threw the phones down trying to figure out what was going on. They set up some devices to release mice and roaches. That's right. Ooh, that's exactly what they were saying. As there were many roaches released running around the office and mice in the facility, climbing on things. They placed some stink bombs in strategic locations to make the office not a pleasant place to work. And for those who decided to go to the bathroom and wash their hands afterwards, they had carefully placed soap that had a type of ink that stained your hands that you couldn't get off. Now, all of the pranks were nonviolent, and the company that found out what was going on did end up shutting down for a day, but they notified the other two companies about them and, and said, hey, listen, we think these are some of the pranksters. We looked at their YouTube channels. They may be here present in India at our companies. If you see them, shoot them on site. They're interfering with a multi-million dollar, almost perhaps a billion dollar business. Now I must admit, 
I don't want to stand up here and lie to you. I watched a video with joy in my heart. <laughs> I smiled the entire way through because I believed that justice was being done. I have family members who've been scammed. No friends who has bank accounts have been violated by others. Identity stolen. And it took them years to get out of it. But after I studied this text, I had a conversation with my children. And I asked them, as a follower of Jesus Christ, is this the kind of behavior I ought to imitate for those who have done us wrong? Now, I'm not dismissing the fact that God is at work in the world and Mark Rober may be one of God's agents that he's using to bring justice in the world upon those who have done wickedness. But when you've done wrong, is it even the right mindset to want to prank others who've done you wrong? Well, I got my answer when I looked at the title of the video. It said, Payback. See, the New Testament seems to indicate that Christians should have a different attitude towards those who wrong us and cause us pain through the evil acts that they do. It doesn't mean it's easy because it requires God to do it. But Paul gives us the reason why he wants us to respond in this way, and he just doesn't leave us without the why. He states it in verse 19. Notice what the text says. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath. And here it's inserted of God. That's understood, implied. For it is written, vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Now, possibly Paul had in mind the scriptures when he was writing this verb, verse. Perhaps it was Proverbs chapter 20, verse 22, which says, Do not say, I will repay evil. Wait for the Lord, and he will deliver you. Or perhaps Deuteronomy chapter 32 and verse 35, where the Lord says, Vengeance is mine and recompense. For the time when their foot shall slip, for the day of their calamity is at hand, and their doom comes swiftly. So Paul says, in light of the reality that God is the great avenger, the one who brings justice to the earth, it's not up to you to mete out justice by taking matters into your own hands. Because in the process of us trying to mete out justice, sometimes we slip beyond the line of justice into doing evil ourselves. So Paul's first point to us is simply, do not seek revenge against anyone let God avenge you. See, what Paul has in mind here as a community of believers, the people of God, we're not to be a, a community that is characterized by a spirit of retaliation. In contrast, Paul says to this revenge and attitude of retaliation, there is an expected behavior for those who are disciples of Jesus Christ. We'll pick back up at verse 17 and catch a couple of other verses in here as well. We've read the first part, we pay no one evil for evil, but he, gives us, he starts to give us the idea here in the second part of the verse. But give thought to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Now let's drop down to verse 20. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. 
Paul says instead of spending our time contemplating how we can repay others for wrongs done to us, we should be using our mental energy to think about how to do good things to build relationships with other people. Good things that are even deemed good by those who don't share our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul says we ought to be a community that is known for seeking to build harmonious relationships, not only within the church, but also within our community and with our neighbors as well. As Jesus said, we ought to be peacemakers, not peace breakers. Paul recognizes, however, that because people have different dispositions and don't always agree with our view, not peace is not always possible to achieve in human relationships because there are other people involved. But Paul says, as far as it depends on you, as it depends on your relational side of the equation, you ought to be seeking peace. You ought not to be known as the one who's cantankerous, the one always causing divisions, the one always stirring up strife in relationships, the one that's always considered to be filled with thorns. That ought not to describe you in relationships. And so Paul once again draws our minds back to the teaching of Jesus by restating those practical ways in which we can love our enemies. You might say, well, who is the enemy? We can just simply sum it up in the Old Testament picture. Anyone who hates you. How do we love these people? Paul says, when they're hungry, feed them. When they're thirsty, give them something to, to drink. We might even add, if they don't have clothes, you clothe them. Meet their needs. Look out for their personal well-being and their welfare. Now, there's a historical example taught in the Amish community to children to shape their minds in a real-life way to grapple with this, to begin to help them to see how this is lived out in the real world as a disciple of Jesus and to think about how that might play out and what might be the outcome of that in life. One of the stories arises from the period of the Reformation. During this time, an Anabaptist by the name of Dirk Willems had been taken into custody by the authorities. He had been arraigned on charges of being baptized as an adult and holding religious meetings in his home that were not sanctioned by the state church. Now, of course, uh, being in this situation, he did not want to uh, suffer death, and so he decided to enact a plan to escape. And so he made a makeshift rope by tying some rags together and luring them out of what had been a castle, now converted to a prison, out of the window and climbing down. But as he was making his escape, he did not take into account that guards were watching or he had miscalculated in some way and one of the guards saw him and gave chase to him. Now it was in the dead of winter when this happened and so as he ran, he noticed that there was a frozen pond and so he decided to cross the frozen pond. As he ran to the other side, he made it safely to the other side, but the guard was not as careful. Perhaps he did not pay attention to his surroundings and watch to see what was going on, and so he slipped through the ice into the frozen waters. I don't know if he could swim or not. I don't know if it was the, 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 the temperature of the water that made him yell out for Dirk to return and save his life, but he feared he was drowning. And Dirk was faced with the decision. Should he return or should he view this as God's providence in the world and continue his escape? The mayor was in tow. He was running behind. And so the question was, what do you do? Often at this point in the story, Amish children are asked, what would you do? 
And so I ask you in the same way, what would you have done if it was you? Keep running or return for the one who's calling for your aid? Well, we do know what Dirk did because history has already passed. Dirk returned in light of the teachings of Jesus and rescued his guard, thus enabling the mayor and whoever else he had with him to give them just enough time to catch up and arrest him again. The mayor, being frustrated by the events, insisted that Dirk be burned at the stake. And on the day of his execution, the wind blew so as to prolong his execution while he burned at the stake. I leave this story and I, I realize that sometimes it might be costly to obey Jesus. And the question that I am left with and I pose it to you with no answer, does that mean that we should do something different when the stakes are high? Well, for the sake of those who may not know, verse 20 is a quotation from Proverbs chapter 25, verses 21 and 22. And the latter part of this verse is debated. And so there are several views here. I'm going to follow Shriners. I've looked at other views in the past and thought differently. But thinking about what Shriner says, I tend to follow him on this one. So the coals of fire that we're talking about here, when we look at their usage in other psalms, like Psalm 1116, 1813, 140, verse 10, or we look at the extra biblical book of 2nd Ezra chapter 16 verse 53 we find out that the coals of fire when talked about in relationship to putting it on heads or raining down on men is often a picture of God's judgment and then when we consider in the text an observation that it looks like Paul is paralleling what he's saying in 18 and 19 with what he says in 20 it seems that perhaps the correct view is to view this as if our enemies when we return good for evil choose not to repent and change, then this will become evidence against them on the day of judgment. Not that we should be seeking to bring judgment against them. We should be having good hearts toward them and wanting to see them saved and to repent. But if they don't, then this will be evidence that God will use in the day of judgment. So Paul's second point to us is simply that we ought not to think of how to do evil, but how to do good to others who wrong us. God will deal with those who do not repent. We see the last and final thing in the text in verse 21 where Paul summarizes his idea and concept. He says to believers, to followers of Jesus Christ, to disciples, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Here, let me draw upon the pastoral insight of a retired pastor, Pastor Tim Keller. He says this about the text. The word overcome is a military word that means to overpower. Paul says that to repay evil with evil is immediately to lose the battle to evil. The only way to defeat evil is by doing good to the one who has done harm. In other words, if you hate a person who has wronged you, that person has won. The only way to defeat evil is to forgive and love the person. So then our basic goal is to forgive, love, and show kindness to the evildoer. When we do, there are two results, perhaps. First, the spread of evil is checked toward us. Its hatred and pride do not infect us. And second, the spread of evil may be checked in the evildoer. He or she may be softened and helped by our love. But how can we practically live this way when we consider the examples that we've thought about? And there are a variety of other ones I'm sure that you can think about. 
as Pastor Keller goes on to remind us that this text is predicated upon the mercies of God, the mercies that Paul has been talking about for the previous 11 chapters. So our minds and our emotions are to be shaped by how God has saved us through the generous gift of his son, Jesus. Remember, as undeserving sinners, Jesus willingly died for our sins. It was raised, as Paul says, for our justification so that we might escape the wrath of God. Chapter 8, he says that we have received the gift of the Spirit because of what Christ has done, who empowers us to live in obedience to the commands of Christ and his apostles. And as Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians, that God, for Christ's sake, forgave us our evil deeds against him. Instead of condemning us to hell, he responded with loving kindness. And so Paul says to us collectively as a people of God, when we offer up our bodies together, we offer up this single sacrifice that is pleasing to God when we live out the way that he describes in chapter 12 and following in light of the gospel that Paul has unpacked for us in the first 11 chapters of Romans. Paul's final point is don't let yourself be overcome by evil. I like the way that Dr. Moose summarizes what Paul says here in these verses. He says, what is clear is that believers are to cultivate an attitude of love that puts the focus on the good of the other person and not on the defense of our own rights, dignity, or even, and this was hard to swallow, perhaps our very own lives. Lived out consistently, the Christian community can become a genuine counterculture that serves as a witness to a world increasingly caught up in the spiral of violence. Now, this leaves us with a couple of key questions about applying this text in the real world. Dr. Harold Kime, in his commentary, raises one and answers it, and this is what he says. Does this text then suggest that Christians should not participate in the military or police activities? He goes on to answer it and says no, and then he gives his reasoning why. Paul is referring to taking personal revenge in this text, taking the law into your own hands. But it's clear from Romans chapter 13, verse 4, that the government does have the right to avenge evil. Dr. Moo, another New Testament scholar who I just quoted, goes on to talk about the, the strength of the pacifist position, its, its historical grounding, and, and the strength of evidence in the New Testament. And then he goes on to consider Romans 13 and look at the larger context of Scripture, the Hebrew Bible, and he comes to this excuse me, conclusion. It seems that Christians are tacitly allowed to use violence in the service of the state. Now, perhaps you're at a different place in your life, a different conclusion than that, and you believe the Scripture teaches something different. I would encourage you to continue to study your Scriptures and continue to pray to God, and if this view is the correct view, then adopt it. But while you're in the process of searching it out, don't violate your conscience in the process. Act as the Bereans. This brings us to the second question that is raised. Am I justified in defending myself or others if unjustly attacked? Now, this question, of course, was raised for me in my mind as I simply remembered some events that happened in 2015 related to our specific church family. One of the members of our church was driving in downtown Harrisburg, and as he was driving by, he noticed on the streets that there was a man who was assaulting an employee of the Peter Pit and also then assaulted a woman and grabbed her and drug her into the street into oncoming traffic and then went on to attack what happened to be an inspector from the U.S. Marshal Service. He then jumped out of his car as a citizen, 
ran and tracked down the man and tackled him and helped the marshal to restrain him until the police could come and arrest the man. And the question becomes, should we as believers get engaged in that in light of what Paul says? So I thought about that. Bongo and I had a long discussion, as I mentioned earlier, about this, talked about the theology, various scriptures, what are the practical implications of the text. I went and read several articles on it, and what I concluded was it needs more thoughtful reflection. And so what I would say is such, if you're interested in this, write Pastor Mike an email. <laughs> and we will at his guidance, research the topic more in depth and hopefully share a message with you or maybe he'll call a friend to come in. Let me conclude our time with a story that probably most everyone in this room is familiar with and remembers. Monday morning, August, uh, sorry, October 2nd, 2006, Charles Carl Roberts IV sat down with breakfast with his wife and his three children. After breakfast, his wife took their toddler and headed off to the nearby Presbyterian church for a mom's prayer group where she was going to join with other moms to pray for their children. Charles then accompanied his two elementary-age children to the school down the street and made his way back home. When he arrived back home, he uh, went to his shed and he loaded up some supplies into the back of his pickup truck and headed off to his pre-planned destination making one stop along the way at a hardware store to gather some needed supplies. Once he reached nickel mines, he stopped at an Amish school, got out of his truck, went to a nearby vending machine, dropped in a couple of coins, pressed the soda that he wanted, and as the soda rumbled down the racks, he watched. As the children, ages 6 to 13, finished their recess and headed back into the classroom. He got into his pickup truck, turned it on, started up the engine, and backed the truck up through the schoolyard all the way to the porch of the school. Emma, the 26-year-old teacher, immediately went out to investigate this unexpected arrival to the school. Some of the children knew him. He had delivered milk to their homes. Once he dispensed with his act of needing help to find an, um, an object, he revealed the weapon that he was carrying, and he had several with him at the time, and he used those to take the occupants of the school hostage. When he first revealed the weapon, Emma and her mother dashed out of the school, running to make it to a nearby farm to call for aid by calling 911. While they ran, the other adults in the room, the children then became the hostages of Charles except for one other student whose name also was Emma. And because she was close to the door, one of the adults had told her to run, and she ran. Under the threat of death, he then put the adults out of the school. All of the boys who were in the school, he put them out as well, leaving only 10 young girls in the school. He barricaded the doors. And after making his intentions known to take advantage of the girls, he apologized for having to take this action. He said he was angry at God and he needed to punish some Christian girls to get even with God. It's 
See, he couldn't get to God, so he needed to get to some of his daughters. Nine years earlier, his daughter had died, and he had blamed God for not intervening to save his daughter's life. While he was there to assuage his wife of what she knew might be guilty, he called her to tell her how much of a great wife she had been, knowing what he had planned to do. When the police arrived on the scene, he demanded that the police immediately remove themselves from the property or he would harm his hostages. And with the police on the scene and time running out and unable to enact his plan that he had hoped were going to play out differently, he told the girls that he was going to have to make them pay for his daughter. Marion, one of the 13-year-old girls in the classroom, immediately took charge of the others, stood up and said to him, shoot me first, perhaps hoping that if he would take his wrath out on her, he, she might save the other girls' lives. Soon after, the police heard three rapid-fire shots from his shotgun, which caused them to immediately burst into the school. They could not apprehend him before he took his own life. And at the end of the day, five girls lay dead, five severely wounded, which had to be lifelighted to various hospitals. For some of you who were here, you probably remember the Amish community's response. Their response shocked the world. They forgave Charles and offered grace to his families. Members of the Amish community reached out to Charles' wife and his children to comfort them in their grief of loss of their father and to let his family know that they forgave him for the evil he had done. An Amish man who was nearby and knew that, knew Charles' father, knew that he had been a retired police officer, went over to comfort the father who had lost a son and to, to, to be part of his grief as well. The grandfather of two of the girls told the news that he forgave Charles through God's help. A grandfather of another girl told those who had gathered for her funeral that they should not think evil of the man who did this. The parents of the girls who died invited the Roberts family to attend the funeral. When the Roberts family gathered to bury Charles, over half of those present were from the Amish community. They held a meeting afterwards, and they invited all of the families who had been affected by this tragedy so that they could grieve together as one. And as news about this tragedy spread across the country and the world, people began to send in teddy bears and money, which ultimately amounted to about $4 million. And the Amish community, in light of the outpouring of love that the world had shown them, thought about the Roberts family, specifically the wife and these three small children, realizing that they no longer had their provider, decided it would not be right for us to receive and not care for this family. So they took some of the money that they gave and gave generously to take care of, make sure that her and her family could survive. Not only that, the Amish community themselves began to take up donations personally from their own resources to help support this family. When asked, how were you able to respond to such tragedy with such grace and such forgiveness, they simply pointed to God and said it was in light of what Jesus has done. One of the parents of the girls said to the newspaper, it is only through our faith in Jesus Christ that forgiveness is possible. And I am reminded of what Paul said earlier about 
what Christ had done. And here it is reflected in the actions of the Amish community towards those who had done them evil. Paul wrote, where sin abounded, grace superabounded. One of the lines that struck me most from the book was this. He says, the writer says, our actions are rarely random. We all embrace patterns of behaviors and habits of mind that shape what we do in a given situation. And here Paul says, let the gospel shape your mind. Think of the fact that you have been forgiven by the shed blood of Jesus Christ and you will be saved by his resurrected life because of your faith in him and allow that truth of what God has done through Jesus to shape not only the way you think, but how you feel and how you interact with the world. And so Paul says to us, don't allow evil to overcome you, but overcome the world's evil with good because of what Christ has accomplished for you and to you. Brothers and sisters, the way that we're going to be able to make a difference in the world is not by living like the world, but living like Jesus. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is good in the sight of all. Let us pray. Father, we thank you for the truth of your word. This is challenging to think about and consider what your word says on this topic. Father, when we think about the real implications of being wronged in some of the ways that we have watched on the news and being thinking about being victims or people we love being victimized by those who plot and plan evil without us knowing it and making us suffer for the wrong that they've done or for hurt that they've received or feel that is owed to them, it can be difficult to not want to cause them harm in return. But you call us, as Peter said, to follow in the footsteps of Christ, who prayed for those who were nailing him to the cross. May we in these moments be empowered by your spirit. If we are to face these challenges, and perhaps there are those in this room right now, maybe not to the gravity or to the level that evil has intruded into their life as those who we've recounted their new stories. Perhaps in some way, in some other version, evil has been done to them, and they are right now grappling with how can they do good in return. Open their eyes. Help them to see. Help them to think of the world and reality in light of the reality of Christ and what he has accomplished. And Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to pool our resources together so that we might, like the Amish community, do good to others who are in need and sometimes to those who even seek to do us harm. That we might be peacemakers and not peacebreakers. We give you thanks and praise in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Any answer?